what we're trying to do is enhance the system, specifically mm-hmm. with some of these really large organizations, while also enhancing it in a way in which it can move faster, that those people who claim, I don't ever know, now know, and they have mm-hmm. something to hold. And I really think about it like the output of this team and the output of this layer is a PO has a thing that they can touch, be it's inside of a OKR mm-hmm. tool or it's in their SharePoint or it's uh, a PowerPoint deck. You guys have said this stuff. I'm using this as a part of my prioritization patterns. Mm-hmm. The things you guys have put into the world makes it easier. And I say easier, not in like, I don't have to do a job, but it provides me more clarity on how I can make prioritization decisions. So rather than spending 20 hours a week debating with 10 different stakeholders about what's important, I have a one hour a week conversation with all the stakeholders collectively that says the prioritization patterns say this, your idea is great, but it sits at number 82 in the list here. Like I love your idea and it's your number one, but in the, the aggregation of our strategy, that's actually number 82. And my team is working on number 13, number 25, and number 37. And so okay. when we clear those, we'll actually be able to spend time with you. But until then, I'm not saying no, I'm saying not yet, not because yet. our strategy says 13, whatever numbers I said, 22 and 37. Those are where my attention are. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. I am here with the Andrew and Andes. Um, today, we're going to talk all about uh, investment tier. We're going to talk about how the patterns we apply at the team level are now being applied at a higher level in the organization and what that's supposed to drive for for winning for the customer, for winning for the company, um, and, and some of the challenges that go along with that. And there's going to be Financial talk as well, I'm assuming, because you guys are both here, which means I will be wading through the quagmire of finance, doing the best I can to keep up. Um, so before we jump into the topic, um, Andy, would you mind introducing yourself to everyone? Yeah, so I think it says Andrew Fine below, but I go by Andy. Uh, been with Leaning Agile, say, two and a half years now. Um, worked with a variety of clients over here. Uh, coming from a PMO background, though, where I was um, more in the weeds with um, with a large telecom company. And I spent a majority of my time um, early on during agile transformations focused at the organizational constraints, a lot of that around budgeting and finance. I uh, moved on from that, didn't think I'd deal with it again for a while and got a call from Leading Agile that they had a, a couple of Every large Every time clients. you try to get out, they pull you back in. Yeah, it was becoming <laughs> a hot topic. I think a lot of companies had started to mature from a – team delivery standpoint from an agility standpoint at the team level and they're starting to see those organizational constraints around well we have all these teams we want to scale and we can't fund them Um, and so i got brought in to support that problem with a couple of our large clients Um, met andrew young who's going to introduce himself along the journey and, and we started talking about well beyond finance what does that mean and there's the strategy Um, behind it at the organizational level and above team agility you know how do we really drive continuity between um, the business and it and drive alignment and so i think that's what we're talking about today fell into it though to be honest 10 years ago uh more than 10 at this point and now enjoy going in and solving those complex problems at companies all right thank you very much and andrew yeah, great to see you again, Dave. And longtime listeners will know that uh, you and I have done a couple of these, and, and I get labeled yeah. as the product guy, which is I was going to say it's more product focused when we usually talk. 
It is. And I think there's something beautiful about the way Andy introduced himself and the way that we're talking about the finance side, you know, waiting through that, Dave. I think for product people, that's just part of life. And I think that's some of the distinction that we might explore is the difference between a team who's focused on outputs versus the outcome or the impact or the value creation. One of the things we've learned through all these implementations is you can't just focus on the output and it's the outcome. And you and I have talked about it through OKRs. We've talked about yeah. it through product practices. And I think this is just kind of the next flavor of our learnings of extending OKRs, extending executive alignment, extending these concepts, which maybe historically we've talked about as practices or frameworks, into a better um, connected system. Okay. And so today I'm going to introduce myself as Andrew, who's been here for a while at Leading Agile. I've got some of that product background, but where I've been spending a lot of my time you know, with Andy and a handful of other people on our accounts is how do we take our patterns and apply them in different parts of the organization? So I'm, okay. I'm Andrew, the guy who's taking all this Agile stuff, who's never really claimed to be the Agile guy and applying it in other situations. I think that's how I'm introducing myself today is the guy who's taken all the stuff we've been doing with Andy and other people and applying it other places. Okay. So I would like to try to establish two points and you guys tell me, because when I went back through our, you know, the pre-call stuff, there's two things that kind of stick out for me. One of them is I'm carrying on my back as baggage from clients I'm working with. But the other one I want to just check in with you on. Um, I feel like there are a lot of clients out there who management gets very focused on output because they don't know what else to focus on. Like they don't know what questions to ask. And a lot of them came up through the waterfall where it was just like how many things are getting done. So it's sort of natural to expect that that's where they would go. And you're trying to show them other stuff to pay attention to. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a simple representation um, yeah. of the world we're living in. Uh, there's nothing wrong in it. I think that there's complexity in the way Andy and I might explain that, but I think that's a good, simple okay. representation of the metrics of yesterday are not the metrics of today, yeah. and therefore you might need something different to help govern that. Okay, cool. And then the, the other thing that I want to check in on is in kind of going through the prepping for this talk, it's I'm sort of coming to the assumption with coming to it with the assumption that the patterns we put in play at the team level, that they are pretty much understood. Maybe not every organization has been successful with them yet, but we're kind of assuming that that is a thing that is being sorted out. And that's what's leading you to, to go at it at this higher level in the organization. So Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. I think that the nuances is what Andy and I do, I think, beautifully, is we don't worry about the semantics of it. Okay. It's, and you, so I love the word that you use, the pattern. We're doing mm -hmm. the same patterns. We just kind of rebranded some of it with some of our clients to get to the business or the executive or the whomever bought in because when they hear it called a scrum meeting or they hear it called a it's about backlog, delivery. it's about delivery. It's about those yeah. teams. It's, it's an othering mechanism. And so okay. I think what Andy and I have done brilliantly is uh, with our clients is rebranded some of those things, called it okay. something different and influenced them to do the same patterns just underneath a different moniker. Okay. So can we, before we get into how you're applying it, can we reset for everybody that's listening on or watching um, the patterns that we would want to see in place at the delivery team level and use that as sort of a springboard to get to the higher level? Yeah, I think it's it's reasonable. I'm going to launch and then I'm going to let like Andy kind of unpack it. Okay. Um, Dave, I made a comment in our pre-call of – your class and CSPO classes um, cr 
create beautiful patterns for teams of, uh, that can be encapsulated. Mm -hmm. And you might call the product owner or the CEO of the product. It might be totally true. It's a reasonable metaphor. But in some of the clients we're working with and specifically applying this, those patterns don't scale. And it creates competition okay. or it creates othering. And so some of the patterns we are looking towards are what's the team's working tested product? We use that language mm -hmm. at Leading Agile with our clients. And at a delivery team or a product team, it's product into the world. And we're okay. taking that pattern and saying other teams need working tested outputs, outcomes, product. Okay. And for a leadership team, that might be OKRs. We talked about that in our OKR podcast, that their focus is to produce good OKRs, where okay. a delivery team's focus is to produce good product. So that's one pattern we're trying to extrapolate and, and bring forward. Okay. Andy? Yeah. So it's funny you said you're not an agilist, Andrew. Um, neither am I. Uh, I would say I am a system thinker. I like to look at how do we drive or extract value as much as we can in the most efficient way possible in the system. Um, and there's areas to simplify. There's areas to refine. Um, I believe agility at the team level is the right approach. And, the, and I think Leading Agile is a fantastic change management approach on how to deliver that, which has drawn me to this company. Um, so okay. I think it's the logical way to go. But when we look at this at a higher level, it, it's, you know, I think the question I've heard asked before is, you know, we've done a fantastic job of transforming the delivery teams and the business doesn't see any extra value. They don't get it. Like there, yeah. you can tell them there's more output. We're doing stuff faster. We're delivering more stuff. Um, but that's not translating into value for them or business value. Um, and okay. so how do we connect those dots for the business? How do we align what those delivery teams are doing? Um, with the, the structure and the, you know, the, the transformation we've put in place. So the business is realizing that value. Um, some of it's just communication and transparency behind it, right? That's some of those um, tendencies that we want to build into the system. Some of it's set of metrics or making sure that we're all aligned to the right overarching objective. And so there, there might not be consistency across that leadership level on driving the same, uh, objectives into the system um, of delivery. And so the system of delivery inherently doesn't know what the number one priority is to deliver yet because they have seven or eight of them. Um, yeah. And so, and that, that's just, you know, if I step back from agility, that's just looking holistically at the system and how do mm -hmm. we create more efficiency? So we're delivering what's needed and the business is realizing that value. Okay. So I have, Dave, a, I'm going to showcase that like, this is not, Pre premeditated at all between Andy and I. Like I wrote down some of the words: communication, transparency, metrics, consistency. Yeah. Those patterns, same patterns we're looking at in Scrum and Kanban. Um, same things we're trying to introduce at the team. We're finding that a lack of structure, governance, metrics, teams, a clarity of what to work on, backlog, um, yeah. and, and delivery of things. Like those are the the principal patterns. And then what Andy said is the the nuance that's missing in a lot of the organizations we're working with. The patterns of transparency. What are they asking about transparency of? Our alignment, our plan, our strategy, what's important to work on. Yeah. Those patterns, we're, we're starting to do um, more clarity on communication. I don't okay. hear enough. My information's not heard. You're not giving me information. Those patterns. Consistency. How many, how many times do we see agile teams um, create consistency in their meeting, their cadences, their outputs, their throughputs, their velocity, but everywhere else around them in the world is high volatility. Leadership yeah. team meets emergently or their business partners are meeting upon reactive behaviors. Those are the patterns we're looking to to have conversation around is what, how do we create consistency because the 
Teams might have it, but they then get rocked volatility because there's no consistency around them. Okay. So I would like to pitch a scenario, and if this doesn't work, we can cut it out. But I had uh, a situation last couple months ago, teaching a class at a company, PO class, got 11 product owners in the room. Each of them is responsible for multiple products, multiple, but they're all competing for the same resources to do the work. Okay. So there's a scarcity of resources and management has not communicated priorities strategically in the organization and is basically tossed it at these 11 people to fight amongst themselves and see who can like scam their way into getting the resources to build their thing. And that's the way the company is deciding what should be produced, which is like driving with your eyes closed. I mean, it's a way. It's a way, it's a way to create some um, gladiator moments at that. Yeah, that it's like Survivor. Of, yeah, that's right. And you might learn who's a really great PO or who's a great influencer or who's good you at – You can work uh, the system. Work in the system. But I don't know that Andy and I or – movement of industry to these product-driven organizations or these outcome-oriented organizations or these right investments so you don't um, waste money type of organizations mm-hmm. would agree with that. Like, it seems silly that there's not some sort of team that's, clarity, doing something yeah. that, that's doing something better than here's our mission, vision, values. Like, go save the world and then you guys fight over all How? the details of saving the world. Yeah. So, so who would who would be a, having these conversations? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say to align to that, kind of my my growth on how I've matured is I lived in the system, right, for over 10 years. And I would locally optimize. Like you give me my the box that I have to live yeah. in and I would figure out how to work this system. And I'd get promoted and grow and my box would get bigger and I'd have to work that system. And then at one point in my career, I got thrown over the wall and they're like, all right, you now have to manage the system. And I had to go back in and figure out, you know, all the loopholes all the things mm-hmm. I did to work the system, I now had to build structure and governance around to make the system work as a whole so folks like myself couldn't get around it um, and actually leverage the system as a whole to deliver value. And I think okay. so when you ask folks to work in that way, you're asking them to locally optimize. You're asking them to build their own structure and governance to deliver work um, instead of having it scaled across the company. And that's the tail wagging the dog, basically. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So who would be... You're going into an organization that has a lack of clarity at this level. Who Who's in the room? Like, what people are you talking to? Yeah, so if we start, maybe before we start to that specific, Dave, okay. let, let's just re-anchor to some of the leading Agile foundations. Sure. What we do with our clients is helping them change. And we we believe that there's an interim model of what we say governance could occur. And it's mm-hmm. based off our span of influence, of where we have encapsulation, and what Andy and I are doing both at uh, a set of different clients right now is introducing that nth plus one tier that hasn't existed before. So if we think okay. about in the leading agile model, the bottom tier commonly refers to teams that are working mm-hmm. on delivering stuff. It could be software, it could be training, it could be services. Above okay. that, there's a layer of the organization helping them focus on decomposing what we would call epics. What are the opportunities ahead? And they're turning them into solution sets, exploring learning. That's that second layer. And then yeah. commonly we see in our clients where we're leading agile has done this with a lot of our clients is a three-term model. And we know that the IT organization needs to go this way. So there's a portfolio called digital delivery, let's say, and they're responsible for solving the problems for digital, digital delivery. Okay. And so what, what we're doing, Andy and I, and some of our clients were coming in and saying, okay, you're still only encapsulating inside of IT or inside of that domain. How come right. you're not looking across the business? And so we're starting to stand up 
just a tier above it that's doing almost the exact same stuff, but rather than the bottom tier, which puts out software, this tier, let's focus on what they're putting out, alignment to the organization, clarity of okay. where to spend money, clarity of how to spend money. And just with everything else, we tailor it based off the organizations we're working with. And so I think right. the nuance, you're going to hear Andy talk about an agency in an organization that's much larger than where I've been working and applying this. And he's got, I don't know, a whole factor or magnitude more complexity than I do. So my answer is going to be slightly different for the recencies that I've been working on this. I've been able to put the executive team in my answer. Like that's who's responsible okay. for this in a smaller enterprise. Still talking enterprise, right? Still talking thousands yeah. of people. But I think Andy's working at an agency right now that's got many agencies in it. So his layer of this looks slightly different. It, it's going to be okay. maybe not the CEO of the, the parent agency, but other places. So, so before we get into well, that, just as we're talking through this, Andy and I are going to be talking in same patterns, but we're sure. going to probably different use some size different references just because of sure. where we've been recently. Okay, but to standardize it, right? Depending on the size of the system of delivery, it's still the same decision makers that are going to be at the table. They just might have different titles. Okay, that's right. And Andy, I think what I heard you say there is the people who are putting at that layer are people that have the opportunity to make decisions about where to spend money, what to spend money on, and have been given responsibility to help set strategy, not abstractly paint a, a vision of the world, but but you're the first layer of decomposing of that strategy yep. into what it means for our organization today, now, and in the near future. Okay. Is it is it safe to say that at the team level, you know, we talked about they're, they're delivering stuff, they're building things, whatever those things are. But when you're talking about the layer that you're engaging with, there is the aspect of creating strategic clarity so that everybody knows what we need to do and why we're doing it. But there's also this aspect of working on the system, of mm -hmm. building a system that can can maintain that clarity and evolve with it and continue to produce whatever the roadmap is for the future. Yeah. Right? I, in my two or three instances recently, Dave, I have two patterns that, that are kind of anti-patterns to each other, but that okay. reflect, oh, look at, look at that balloons. <laughs> Apple's, Apple's all in the- Very happy stuff. podcast. Yeah. Um, in some of my recency stuff, Dave, I've got executive teams that are trying to create a different backlog for the stuff they want to give to customers and the stuff they want to do for the organization. And this investment okay. layer, what we're talking about saying is, well, why or how, or is it even reasonable to separate those? Isn't one causal to the other? And so we're starting to bring that together at this investment tier that says, um, if you take all of your money out of learning and development and putting it into system of delivery work products, your people aren't going to get better. And then 18 right. months, you're going to have a different problem. Or if you take all the money from your system of delivery to make good leaders and you don't have enough teams to deliver, will you even have a company in 18 months? And so this okay. layer is trying to balance those tensions you just said of, is this a working on the system or is this an item to move towards customers? So I've got that example. And then I also have the second example of, oh, strategy is what I tell people to do. And so I've got a whole bunch of clients right now that say, okay, I get this layer, but the whole point of this layer of the organization is for me as a leader to tell them what solution to put in place. And I think it's important to note that everything we're doing at this layer is not prescribing solutions. We're not just trying to recreate the PMO problem of prescribed projects. We're trying mm -hmm. to decompose strategy and decomposing of strategy in our outputs here isn't go tell the teams what to do. It's create the space of opportunity, the learning, the exploring. Where do we want to spend money 
So we know that we need to move in this X, Y, or Z direction. We're going to shift some of our funds from this to that. If you think about the movements in um, solar or uh, maybe an electric vehicle company, a good example of this could be our portfolio has been traditionally investing in um, gas-powered vehicles, and we're moving some of those funds into digital offering, digital services, or okay. even electric vehicles. That's the level of conversation we're talking about. And there's no way to differentiate, or there shouldn't be a way to um, create two different boxes of here's the money for in the system and here's the money on the system. We believe it's all connected. So, so okay. I think there's like three things I anchor to um, when I hear that. One, we got to re-anchor to the fact that it's larger than IT, right? We're looking across yeah. everything. Two, a dollar is a dollar. So how do we spend that dollar? We don't, you know, to, and then the third thing, when you say spend the dollar, how do we drive the most value out of that dollar? Well, to Andrew's point, that's where those conversations are being had, where it might be more valuable to spend a dollar on the system than in the system. Um, and okay. that happens at that point. So so sticking with the electric vehicle example, we would need to produce better batteries or better cars or whatever that is, but at the same time, build a mechanism in our system or the muscle so that we can continue to innovate and develop new ideas because if we don't, we might have the battery we need now. But by the time we get that, we, we don't know how to do what's next or see what's next. Yeah, it could be. And right, it goes into the strategy. If that company is trying to be first to market, mm -hmm. it's a different investment strategy than be the laggard. And so in that notion of part of their strategy is we are going to be competitively first in doing something mm -hmm. like that's one of their principles. They need to change how they're investing and they can't sit on their what got you here laurels. They have to start yeah. shifting that matrix of investment sooner where other organizations, their strategy might say, we're not on the cutting edge of innovation for this space. We're going to continue to milk our cash cow a little bit. Still yeah. a reasonable strategy. We're not actually in there telling them right or wrong strategy. We're saying you don't even have an ability right now or a capability to help create clarity for the organization of that strategy. And okay. so in your, your example there, we're... Yeah, if, if your goal is to be the innovator, you're spending all your money on a legacy thing, this yep. layer should say, oh, we've got a distribution problem of where we're focusing our attention. And we, okay. I think when Andy and I both say attention or priorities, we're really meaning, um, you know, kind of vote with your dollar. I, I hear that yeah. in the world, right? Like, like us as, as consumers, we get a say by where we spend our, our dollar. Well, mm -hmm. that's what the organization is doing at the same time. If X leader is always getting all the money, well, there's something the organization is trying to communicate and they're trying okay. to tell the story of there's there's value in that because we gave all the money there. Or they might yeah. just be saying, we don't know. And so we're making our best we have to go guess. Find out. Yeah. We're trying to have this layer help educate that and then tell the story, use some frameworks, have some patterns that then make mm -hmm. it easier so that it is consistent and transparent and repeatable. Okay. And so if you can't hold both of those things in frame at the same time, you're going to go towards one or the other. And then I'm assuming that there's like a parallel to technical debt that you're creating strategically where we've invested all our money in getting the batteries done and, oh, crap, we can't innovate anymore. Or like you said, we go all in our innovation. We have nothing to sell. So they've got to figure out the best way to divide up the funding across the organization um, and help the company as a whole evolve into this next step. So it's a more complex that, that, problem. That also... 
right? You, you know, if we go down the funding path, historically, that's how you would think, right? Because you made a decision and you stick with it. But with the systems we want to put in place, there's dynamic funding. So you continue to have these conversations. You're able to shift the dollars to the most important thing. So today, it might be the battery. In two weeks, it might be a focus on strategy. Um, okay. I want to stick on that one for a second. So a lot of the orgs that I've been, I've worked with in the past, one of the challenges when we switch over to an agile model is funding. They do annual funding. Like you place all the bets for a hundred projects at the beginning of the year. By November, it's down to four and you deliver two. You wasted all that extra money and time because you didn't have an ability to adjust because you placed all your bets in January. And it also seems a little bit extreme to me to assume that a company is going to figure out how to fund things two weeks at a time. Like yeah, you can't run a business that way. It is complex. So first of all, most of those companies are placing their bets in June, the year prior. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and then they allocate a hundred percent of their budget by January. So they don't have any gap or, or extra dollars that they need to go a direction by June of the following year, you're overrunning usually. And mm -hmm. so because they don't have any prioritization systems put in place at any level, you know, above, let's say the team level, it usually takes execs, you know, anywhere between a month to a month and a half to figure out what to actually cut, freeze, or put on hold. Um, each one of those days is delayed cost. And so by the time they figure out how to find that 20 million, they got to find another 15 million for the 45 days it took them to find that 20 million. So it becomes this like perpetual thing annually. Now, what I will yeah. tell you, annual funding will exist. You have to have it at some publicly yeah. traded companies. You have to have those compliance and audit reports. You have to be able to showcase that. But you can build inherent systems within the system of delivery uh, with how you allocate those funds and move those funds around and create some flexibility. And some okay. of that I'm sure Andrew will get into is team-based funding versus project-based. How do we build business cases the right way to support um, larger scaled problems versus trying to build business cases around specific solutions that might not okay. solve the problem you need to solve at the end of the day. So yeah. that you can live yeah. in both worlds. And that, I think a lot of companies are going to have to live in both worlds where you need to be dynamic with your spend, but you still have an annual budget or allocation of funds that you have to, to work with. Okay. So we're, so they're developing, I mean, towards the idea of business agility, the muscle that they're building is to be able to react faster, to see the pitch coming clearer sooner so they can decide if they're going to swing or not and make adjustments along the way. Yeah. Well, and, and we've built a system, right? Where they can, like we should have our system of delivery set up where if something shifts tomorrow, they should be able to go shift and work on that. And mm -hmm. one of the organizational constraints that we see is the dollars don't align with that shift. And so then everything gets put on hold or we freeze and we wait for procurement or we wait for finance to come back and give the thumbs up, which sometimes takes a week, sometimes takes a yeah. month, sometimes takes three months. And so that's the, you know, that became the, the delay, I would say, in a lot of the systems of delivery that I was looking at is how do we allow these teams to do what they know is right and shift to deliver the most value? Okay. And how do you protect the organization from, if they build this reflexive muscle, some executives deciding, well, we're agile. So like you said, we'll change our mind every couple of days. We, we don't have any path to go down because we just keep staring at the shiny object that moves around the room, like a cat chasing a laser. 
Makes, I, might, I don't know if that makes sense or not. You both kind of look, maybe it didn't come across. Well, that, that might be, you know, I was going to say, I'll lean on Andrew to answer that. That goes back to a lot of strategy uh, at, you know, how do you align to strategy? What is a, what is good strategy at the investment tier and drive that in the system? Um, yeah. I would assume at different tiers, folks are, let's say optimized in different boxes. And okay. so, yeah, they can, you can shift at the, um, product team tier or the portfolio tier, but you're shifting against whatever that overarching objective is that you're trying to solve for. So you're making a, a decision, but you're still trying to achieve that outcome or that OKR. That that's strategic executive. goal. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, so your shift wouldn't be shifting that strategic goal. You're just shifting on how you're going to deliver against it to drive more value in the system. Okay, so we have like a compass that points towards the north. We have an idea of a general path, but we're making adjustments along the way the same way a team would. But this is something I'm sure Andrew can articulate very well. This is like right up his alley, yeah. Well, so so Dave, you nailed it. It's the same way a team would. And all we're doing, I think, like I'm gonna, I made some notes here of some things you said. I'm gonna abstract it thematically for a second to come back into the instance. So all we're doing is working at a different time horizon. At a higher okay. level. So teams can do that on a daily basis to help deliver their sprint commitments. Mm-hmm. Um, um, above that, a portfolio team is working on a quarterly basis to help deliver on their solution customer market conditions. Mm-hmm. The organization's doing it at the investment layer around where they want to go. And so you're right, uh, or Andy was right, like annual funding is never disappearing. But I do think it's becoming annual storytelling. The annual storytelling okay. against where we're going and we're packaging it up on a more... Uh, rolling basis. And so one of the things I I said is, uh, so one of the first things someone told me with Agile is, Agile doesn't mean you can have it tomorrow. It means we have the ability to respond. Mm -hmm. Right? And so that's one of the patterns here we're using as we're coaching this investment, what we're kind of branding as the investment layer in our clients, is just because you make a change doesn't mean the organization will hand it to you tomorrow. It means that we can now cascade out to the right things. And so the question when we go in and teach this and try to stand this up is, would you rather invest next year into a whole bunch of plans that are going to be 100% committed to and you're not allowed to change them? Mm-hmm. I'd call that a project, traditional annual funding yeah. model. Or would you rather invest in some outcomes you would like to see and know that the decomposition and interpretation of how we get to that outcome, you're trusting your smart people you've hired. Okay. And everybody says, oh, yeah, I kind of want the latter, but I right. need to know how much money they're going to spend. And, and we flip it and say, well, we can kind of prescribe that, right? We can kind of work through this from an annual or a rolling funding model that says, knowing what I know now, and this is the way we coach this, is rather than saying, start from zero every year and reinvent it, because that's what a lot of companies are doing. We're right. saying, with what I know now, I have 10 teams and five product managers managing those 10 products over there. Mm-hmm. And that is strategically important, so we're giving 60% of our investment as a company over there. Does that still feel right? And so we ask the question of what you're doing today, does it still feel right to get to the outcomes you want to get to? Okay. And so just as another pattern, we're teaching at the investment layer, well, you can't have 10 priorities that are all number one priorities. Just as a team, you can't have 10 number one priorities. So we're stack ranking initiatives. We're stack ranking objectives. We're stack ranking OKRs. It's not here's your 20 OKRs team, go go commit to delivering them. It's here's right. the stack rank. And on a new horizon, so rather than doing it on an annual horizon, <laughs> we're doing it on a quarterly horizon or a, a bi-monthly horizon. We're saying, 
with what you know now, do you still want to make the bet you're making as an organization? Okay. So could then at that level, they do assumptions mapping or have some kind of prioritized list of questions that need to be answered on maybe a recurring basis, but they're going to keep coming back and evaluating not the outcome, but whether or not the path they're on to get to that outcome strategically still holds or if something's happened in market and they need to shift. That's right. And, okay. and we're seeing a lot of the clients that are most curious about this work or the most open to changing some of this work, they're realizing their industry, their market, their customers are, are changing. That mm -hmm. what they've been producing recently is not going to cut it in the future. And so I think they have this like, we don't know what the world even looks like. So how do we take some money and figure that out while also continuing to exploit the cash cow that's out there so we can be relevant tomorrow? And so there's a lot of curiosity in what you said of like, yeah. if I just keep investing all my money into the things we've been doing, we're realizing that curve is going down or the, the line is, is not growing anymore or it's plateaued. Sure. So we have to do something different, but we don't actually know how to do that. And one of the early questions I get in, in this conversation with some of our clients and the ones I've worked with is, oh, I'm, and I'm now using deep leading agile language. Do I just need to go fund some Basecamp 5 teams over here and pretend like they don't exist in my organization and, and have them go tell me what to do? And we say, well, that's an option. It's better than not investing any money in that, that explore, mm -hmm. exploration. But if you isolate them so far away from everything else, how will that ever make it back into your system? Yeah. And so okay. we're saying some portion, some percentage of, of everything you're doing needs to be in the realm of uncertainty where you're hunting for some certainties. Okay. So I would but like to... There, oh, good. I was just going to say, that, so the finance folks or the accounting folks are going to hear you say that and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you're going to go out Stare there and down. Just fund a bunch of people. You're going to spend money and you don't have anything that they're accountable to. Like they can yeah. deliver nothing at this point because I don't have a business case. So that's the nuance here around the annual yeah. funding is with the OKR, we, there's still key results. We have to still tailor business cases that have give the teams autonomy to deliver against them on how they see fit. Okay. Uh, but you're still driving ROI. You're still driving value out of that business case. I mean, okay. and I don't have a fantastic example, but well, I might. I just, what'd you say? I no, might go for it then, Dave. Yeah. So let's say we were producing AI tools that were going to evaluate metrics that are being gathered by teams and help us create better predictability or understand flow better or something like that. You can understand that you want that as an outcome. You want that tooling in your system so that it can be almost like your C3PO to tell you what you should do. But the way that technology is evolving and changing so quickly and the way people are understanding it is changing so quickly that if I was to place a bet and put all my money down right now for something that I wasn't going to get for six months, six months from now, AI could be something completely different than it is today because it's so volatile. Does that work? It, crickets it, it, so, it, so it does <laughs> maybe my um, example wasn't that great <laughs> well it does but it goes into like we similarly talked about this on the okr conversation dave everybody yeah. asks what's a good strategy or what's a good okr and i have to mm -hmm. do this it, it depends right like and unfortunately it's like the most quintessential um, consulting answer <laughs> it depends so your ai okay. story goes into are you a leadership team or an organization that has no clarity around what AI means for you and your business? Or mm -hmm. do you have a hypothesis? Or are it's you place in your business. 
That's right. Or it's placed in your business or it's placed around your business. Yeah. And so from an investment fund or from an investment layer or from a conversation layer, we can say, okay, cool. We need to have one team go explore this mm-hmm. blue ocean greenfield space to, to just figure it out first. Like that's a reasonable approach. And mm-hmm. we don't put a time box on that towards Andy's comments around key results. Like a spike they, basically, an organizational right. spike. Okay. And they create a, we would call that in the OKRs, the key result. This mm-hmm. team's going to disprove or validate a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And that's the return on the investment there is the don't Knowledge. go spend more money in this space or spend lots more money in this space. The return on that investment isn't uh, here's a new product you can sell that's going to yield a million dollars of recurring revenue. It's shifting also with the finance language that return on investment is about learnings and about saying um, no to future things or yes to sooner things in the future and pull them in closer. Yeah. Those are just as valuable. And, and I'm like probably, again, going to have Andy say, well, yeah, but the finance people will, will counter you in a lens. <laughs> of course, those are just as valuable moments of ROI as, yeah, yeah, but I've spent a million dollars and this thing's going to make us $2 million in recurring revenue every year. But you're, you're building the ability to make smarter decisions into the system. That's right. And that's that for, I think, Andy and I is kind of one of the foundations underneath all this is if you just let organizations keep doing what they're doing, um, they're going to end up bleeding cash, bleeding resources, bleeding employee satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they're going to have to spin up a whole new division, buy another company. And that's where we see so many companies grow through acquisition or strategy relevancy through acquisition. They couldn't do it internally, so they go buy another one. Uh, again, to to integrate it. And we're saying you can have those capabilities, but it starts by consistency at the investment team layer to understand now, near, far, horizon one, horizon two, horizon three. Some percentage of your backlog at the investment layer, your investments is around today's horizon. Some needs to be around tomorrow's horizon. And a very little bit probably needs to be around a third horizon in the far world to make sure you're staying relevantly aware of things. Like that's okay. one of the things. And you need to consistently have those conversations. Not when your competitor launched this really cool new thing or a different competitor claims they acquired something that's really cool. We want you to proactively, the same way we want our Not reactively, right. Right. The same way we want our adult teams to say, look, I'm working in a two week window here because if I were to commit to ten weeks, the world might change. And we're saying mm-hmm. from a strategic lens, this whole annual five-year story, set it and forget it for a year, and then go through all of this commotion and activity to redo that process, you're spending more time in that uh, cycle than if you were to just carve out a couple hours every other month as an investment team, get together with the feedback loops from the organization. How are you trending against, if you want to use key results or your goals? How are we spending cash? How are we burning it? Where are we overspending and why are we overspending there? And let's have a conversation about that. Do we need to put a tighter constraint there? Or is there something happening that we as a leadership team are unaware of? Okay. We're just creating a a disciplined pattern. And I I think that's what like the result of all this is, is we're just taking same patterns Mm-hmm. And we're changing horizons. And, and I think like that's okay. the way I talk about it with clients is when, when they hear me say, hey, I want to give you guys the same patterns as a leadership team, as a scrum team. They're like, we're not doing a daily standup. And you're right. <laughs> you do not need to do a daily standup as a leadership right. team around your strategy. But you do need a quarterly standup or a monthly standup. Check-in of, of some kind. Of a check-in to understand those things. If you wait a year, too long. it was too long. And to Andy's first call out, it's actually we're doing stuff in June 
mm-hmm. for the following year. So we're not going to see the results of that for at minimum 12 to 16 or 18 months. And so we're saying, okay. what happens when you just shorten those windows? You guys have all learned 18-month cycles are way too long. Let's turn so, those into rolling three-month cycles. And when you say shortening, if it's three months or whatever, I'm assuming that this is going to play out differently in like a startup than it would a massive company, that, like a bank that's been around for 100 years. Yeah. It, it, again, if we go deeply into like a leading agile um, belief structures and, and frameworks, a startup isn't a five-tier governance model. Like right. it just won't happen. A startup's more of a base camp four, base camp five team. That's a two tier governance model. And everything we're talking about, everything that Andy and I have just identified is happening at that top tier in a startup. Okay. It's just happening on a cycle that's faster because you have to move faster at a startup. But you talk about a global food distributor, the ability to change what's happening on that ship that's been in the ocean for three weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't do that instantly or to change how procurement's gonna work for international transactions. You're probably not able to do that in a week. And so we're saying, but but the horizon you guys have normally worked on, set it for a year, forget it, is just not yielding out those two right things. Okay. We should create some more pat- more consistent patterns. And you know I would there's some, I will say though, uh, an interesting use case at some point is looking at how a startup turns from a startup into an Amazon or a Google. And like when does that uh, segmentation happen and you know how do they lose that ability because that's what we try to bring back in this transformation right so it's okay. definitely a cyclical ride right there so in so i want to kind of hang on to that one for a second in going from being a small startup to something like amazon part of that growth includes putting in more structure more planning and the model we have for that is traditional which is what got you here isn't going to sustain you when you get to that level. So you want to find a way to maintain the responsiveness of a startup at that larger scale. Yep. But that doesn't mean every team in the organization will act like a startup team. Right. Right. This is where the base camp model comes in. We're investing some portion into the startup approach, but as a leadership team, as an executive team, as an investment team, we have to be as mature as our most mature. And when I say mature, I'm thinking about the mm-hmm. base camp maturity. So yeah. if our leadership team and our investment team is operating in a very have to be predictable, have to work on an annual cycle, it's impossible for any team to work differently underneath them. But okay. counter to that, if we say, hey, guys, you guys are going to really focus on some of the innovation work and you're our base camp right. five teams. But if the investment team only operates as a base camp one structure, that team, th- those people right. are either going to get really frustrated, that team's going to be disbanded because nobody understands the value of it, or that team's going to be forgotten about, at which point they're going to go do all this work and the organization's going to say that wasn't value added. Okay, We're trying and to create the shorter cycles of that. And in the same way that an individual cannot, despite their best intentions, cannot overcome a broken system, a, a that kind of constraint at the higher level is going to impede anybody's ability to be agile or produce valuable stuff. If you can't stop, get situational awareness and figure out this is not the right path. That's right. Okay. And I think what you call out there is something that Andy and I, one of the first things Andy and I got to work on together um, was a transformation with a company who had spent a lot of time transforming their teams to be, 
independent mm -hmm. and autonomous and efficient. They knew who their customer was. Um, they understood how to interact with their customer. They had good practices. Mm -hmm. So they had all these things and they just, these teams, thousands of teams kept hitting the, 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 the dead Whoa. end of like, yeah. I can't do anything because you're telling me to go do something that's not strategically connected. You're giving me a solution or I'm funded through this project to spend a bajillion dollars on this thing. And we know that that's not value added. And so we're, we're also through this process trying to really connect the feedback loops from teams that have good practices yeah. and can connect to their customer and helping the leadership team say, what you prescribe from your ivory tower is so far disconnected from the customers and from the value added things at times that you need feedback loops. And so this is where it's just how do you amplify all the stuff that is in a scrum team or amplify all of the stuff that is in a delivery team that is good with customer, but you just can't come in. I think what Andy and I have learned is you can't just come into an organization and be like, your investment strategies effed up, man. So let's yeah. just reinvent this and then it'll make all the teams better. We understand that there's a top-down, bottom-up approach to this that has to occur. Right. If you don't have predictable operating teams, a better strategy layer yeah. will eventually give up and go back to directive-bound behaviors right. because they don't have trust. Okay. I, I believe you can go in as long as you have a trustworthy system, like Andrew said, and independently stand up the investment here. I also, from my experience at Leading Agile, Every organization I've worked with, the second we start to stand up the three-tiered governance model, delivery teams, middle managers keep saying, this is great, but the investments are a black box or it's chaos from leadership or we have 11 different number one priorities. How do we solve that problem? So it emerges every time, at least on every client I've been at, it becomes a, a hot topic six months into an engagement um, with the lower tiers. Okay, so we do I need. What, I think what Andy just said, Dave, is probably yeah. the like the most useful piece we've talked about thus far. Is okay. when a trustworthy system is being built, there's still a ceiling of that system that says, "I still have 13 different people telling me what my number one priority is. Yeah, How yeah. come you guys can't get your bananas together and come together with a common?" That's well said. Yeah. Okay. Like, that's what we're trying. I think most poignantly to solve for is relieve the pain and the disclarity for the layers in the organization who are saying we are operating trustworthy, trustworthily, trust with trustfulness. Yes. Um, and what we can't do is understand what you actually need out of this system right now. Okay. So I have a two part question. One, can you guys define what is a trustworthy system just in case people need that? And two, can this happen in the absence of a trustworthy system? Or is that like a like table sticks for it? I think Andy led with, like in his last comment, that you have to have some sort of trustworthy system to go focus on this. Yeah. Um, but it can be done away from the trustworthy system. Um, I think in our language, okay. trustworthy system is uh, a layer, a layer or layers of decomposition that you can delegate into and believe mm -hmm. that they can predictably make and meet their commitments um, without over-architecting, without creating complexity, without uh, deep amounts of orchestration. Okay. And the the intent answer. is to have alignment on strategy. And so you have to believe that the folks delivering that strategy can deliver that. And if there's no, and you know, this goes back to finance. If there's no belief right. anyone can deliver anything, then finance won't fund anything for you to deliver. So that 
there has to be trust across the board there. Okay. And I, so, and I think I was going to tie So the example, because the alignment to strategy um, and being able to decompose that's fantastic. Um, but what I was tying that off to in the example is leaders like to create solutions and push those tasks and orders into the system. And that's the other huge thing we want to change at the investment tier with these OKRs is you're driving thematic asks. Like, and, and so a fun example, but let's say you want to increase uh, market share for trucks in Texas. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's the actual root cause or the objective the that you have. Yeah. yeah. But what you do is you go out and do a little market research and you say everyone likes blue trucks and they want bigger seats. So you put this massive project in the system that you want them to do a bunch of blue trucks and you want to widen the truck by 18 inches so there's bigger mm-hmm. seats in the front. And that's a two-year project to get done. Right. Meanwhile, the teams who have those interactions with the customers and are talking to folks realize that, blue is last year's color it's actually green this year and as much as the wider seats are, are cool they want better air conditioning and they want like a different truck bed of some sort right now in the project model you don't have the ability to change those requirements you still have to deliver a blue truck with bigger seats but we know that if we can shift you know we're still delivering against that overarching objective and the value there but we want to shift the solution now. We want to give the teams the autonomy to shift that solution. And you want to trust the teams that they can shift that solution and deliver better value for you at the end of the day. So if I am on a team and what I've been handed down is the idea that my team has to produce more blue trucks and my team has is able to gain awareness of the fact that really what the company wants is the ability to deliver more stuff. And we realize, well, crap, we can get drones to do this instead of trucks, and that's cheaper and faster. We need to be able to either send that message up and have them respond to it, or ideally, higher up in the food chain, they're realizing, yeah, we thought it was blue trucks, everything shifted, now it's not trucks anymore. Well, I think what we're getting at is up in the food chain, they don't ask for blue trucks anymore. They ask for more delivery or whatever it is. And they allow the trustworthy system to produce the outcome that suffices that objective. So the trustworthiness isn't just delivery. The trustworthiness is sense and respond as well. And the ability to decompose. Okay. And ask good questions and have clarity. Because the other far end of the extreme of the gradient here is you're so outcome oriented, you create such abstract outcomes where the teams interpret them in a totally different fashion. And so you'll hear us talk about the investment layers also creating the guardrails. And so in your example there, Dave, the team the team knew something different had to happen, and so they came back with the drone answer or the drone recommendation. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully in the trustworthy system and in our investment tier layer, we've already given the curves that says y- you can't um, reinvent the whole world. You can reinvent these portions of the world or this part of it. And so in their understanding, drones are a reasonable thing to keep in the back of the head, but um, building tunnels underneath Texas is out of the question because it doesn't align with the long-range strategy. And so part of this is keeping some of the right constraints in place because if I just say your objective is to increase our revenue by 20%, the team might, and I use this when I coach OKRs, if your objective is uh, as a football coach or a football owner increase revenue for me as the owner of this thing by 20%. Yeah. The marketing team might get really crafty 
and think about things that are away from the venue, away from football, and maybe their answer is, you want more revenue? Go buy this soccer team. And for some right. organizations, that might be the right answer. But for this organization, I hate the other kind of football. Therefore, if you come to me, I'm firing that whole team because they don't understand where we're going. Right. And so there's some okay. flavor of opening the constraints in the aperture that he's talking about while also being explicitly clear of where the guardrails are. Okay. So you, so this is, you're asking, and maybe this is, should have been there all along, but you're asking for a level of mindfulness and awareness at the strategic level that prevents them from just set it and forget it. They can't do that anymore. They, in the same way that we would ask a customer to be more engaged with a team in defining or figuring out what the product needs to be, you're asking management to be more engaged in figuring out if we say this is our strategy, how? That's right. I think about this, this layer, the, the real value of this layer is getting organizational storytelling really good. Okay. And I, if I circle back to like the world you live in at times, Dave, how many mm -hmm. of your product owners that have taken your class said, I know what I want to do, but I can't go do it because those, those people get in my way. Or I know what we need oh. to be doing, but they don't see it that way. What we're trying to do is actually, like I believe, and this is me, Andy, so feel free to, to counter me. I believe the point of all of the work we're doing at the investment strategy layer is yeah. to actually give those product owners, the product managers, those, those people, whoever those people are, yeah. the opportunity to play a more active, influential role in the organization because they are closer to customer while also reducing the cycle times in which they can do that. We're yeah. trying to make their world better. This isn't about making those executives' lives better. Like we're yeah. actually in this process asking them to participate in new things they're not used to participating in. They're used to delegating out. They're used to getting a report and yeah. saying, "Great, go that way." We're as we're asking them to Get now the be a collaborator. Yep. Yeah, I would okay. I would say yes, and with the addition of let's say organizational um, functions that are external dependencies, usually, and, and that goes back to procurement finance, HR, you want them all at the table. So when you make that strategic decision, they're not going to be a holdup or an impediment to drive that forward. Okay. And so everyone's there helping with the decision and making sure that no one's going to get in the way of pursuing that at the end okay. of the day. So I want to, I want to take a step back and go to something, um, Andrew, that you said a few minutes ago, you, you said about the kind of teams I deal with, and I want to explain a little about that, tie it to this and then to where you guys are. When I'm working with people in the PO class, most of the time they don't know what they want because nobody's told them what strategy is. Like they have no awareness of it at all. And they're at best order takers, right? So they don't even have insight into, you're like two layers above the problem that I'm trying to get them to solve. They need to understand strategy, but then the system itself has to have the ability to run experiments organizational wide and see if the path is the right path. That's right. And, okay. and the POs you work with are probably relatively smart people and oh, yeah. probably make a really good paycheck and probably can but give the a good the system's in their way. That's right. And what we're trying to do is enhance the system, specifically mm -hmm. with some of these really large organizations, while also enhancing it in a way in which it can move faster, that those people who claim, I don't ever know now know, and they have something to hold. And I really think about it like the output of this team and the output of this layer 
is a PO has a thing that they can touch, be it inside of a OKR tool, or it's in their SharePoint, or it's uh, a PowerPoint deck. You guys have said this stuff. I'm using this as a part of my prioritization patterns. Mm-hmm. The things you guys have put into the world makes it easier. And I say easier, not in like, I don't have to do a job, but it provides me more clarity on how I can make prioritization decisions. So rather than spending 20 hours a week debating with 10 different stakeholders about what's important, I have a one hour a week conversation with all the stakeholders collectively that says the prioritization patterns say this, your idea is great, but it sits at number 82 in the list here. Like I love your idea and it's your number one, but in the, the aggregation of our strategy, that's actually number 82. And my team is working on number 13, number 25 and number 37. And so when we clear those, we'll actually be able to spend time with you. But until then, I'm not saying no, I'm saying not yet, because our strategy says 13, whatever numbers I said, 22 and 37. Those are where my attention are. Um, It really should free up a lot of this one-to-one conversation time. Okay. So where, in some cases, senior management is asking about how many things are they producing? They're very output focused at the team level they need to be asking completely different questions. How are the things that are produced getting us to where we want the company to be? Yeah. And and one of the things that we haven't touched on it in this, and Dave, I've realized in just this conversation we've been having, there's like 10 different sub conversations and a hundred hours of dialogue. (laughs) And I'm like holding on by the edge of the rug. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that we haven't talked about is a lot of this work also includes organizational KPIs. Okay. So what you just said is rather than focusing on a leader worried about how many outputs a team did, yeah. well, we have some KPIs over here that talk about a team's performance, a team's velocity, a team's output, mm-hmm. but that's not what we're obsessing over. That's just kind right. of a, a health check. It's a part of our diagnostics. We know it. When we plug the machine in, it tells us that. What mm-hmm. we're focused on is how much impact is that team making and what's the the limiters in them making impact is it a lack of clarity or is it that they're actually not performing well or is it that they tested something and the organization doesn't value learning that's where we're trying to elevate okay. some of this conversation so and i want to ask this question and i want to see how we can tie it back to the finance part of it too um you're becoming an organization let me try to think of, if Mike listens to this, he's going to get mad because I'm going to talk about personal Kanban. But if personal Kanban is about a human understanding the system of how they as a system can perform better, can can show up better, can be more efficient in what they do, you're asking for the organization to become, to, to study itself, to understand not just make things, but how do we see the space we're in and optimize the way that we approach everything that we do, including just seeing the right things. 100%. And, and I would okay. assume if Mike listens to this and if Mike were here, he would say, <laughs> yeah, but that's been the whole point of leading Agile and everything we do, yeah. right? It's what you just said. And but I Mike sees it at a level that most people, like our customers don't always see that thread. Well, and I think that's when we get to them. The point of this chat was between Andy yeah. and I is we're finally gaining access with some of our clients who are starting to see it once you have some of these other end layers built up, okay, that didn't actually fix my problem. Our original agile hypothesis, uh, get teams predictable and they're producing better, we will have better worlds. And we say, yep, that's the first of many steps. And Mm -hmm. one of the next steps is, are they all strategically aligned? 
And how do you know? And there's two things that occur with that. One, you need structured governance metrics at the strategic alignment. And mm-hmm. two, you need good practices, just as teams need good practices, it's strategy mm-hmm. development. And so the output of this is strategy. You need to get good at that and spending no time on it. You're not going to get good at it. So if we create discipline to spend time on it, we should create a pattern of structure, governance, and metrics to spend time on it. You will yeah. inherently get better at it. But that system you built needs better inputs. Bad it's strategic hygiene, basically. That's right. It's, it's organizational hygiene. Like if I tie it back okay. to what you just said, it's organizational yeah. hygiene. Yeah. Okay. And so how does that connect with the financial part of it, Andy? The, the financial part of it is usually an organizational constraint because okay. they are the roadblock to these folks who have, you know, they lean into OKRs. They're like, this is all fantastic. We want to do this. We're ready to go. And accounting and finance comes back and says, well, where's the business case? How do I justify giving you $100 million to go do this right now? Okay. I, need, I need that in black and white. I need that across the board. And then, you know, this is where there's like 10 other topics we can probably dive into too. Yeah. But then it's like, how do you forecast your spend monthly? What are your actuals? How, all of that ties out to this as well. Okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of that's tied into tooling and the little nuances in the system. But at the strategic layer, we want to build, you know, we got to build trust with our partners in, in finance to allow yeah. us to go in and, and operate the way we want to. Um, okay. And that th- there's a lot of complexities there. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of nuances there. Um, but inherently, there are ways around it to allow these leaders to strategically align, decide on where they want to go and come back three months later and say, you know, that we're seeing what's being produced. It's not driving towards that outcome or, or the key results we want. We need to shift and let's go do this. Yeah. Okay. So I want to try to wordsmith something and see if this resonates with you. Cause a guy said it to me and it was like, wow. Um, a guy I talked to in Austria has got management kind of pushing quarterly work down at the team level. And whereas many places I work with, the teams are just expected to execute. In his organization, the teams are expected to QA the commit that they're given. So they're basically, their job is to come back and say like, yeah, this part, this is too much. Where you said finance was a roadblock, I hear finance is QAing that work. Like we want to spend money on this. Finance's job is to ask the questions, to do the testing, figure out, is this the right thing? Is it producing the result? And if not, here's where it's missing. Go figure out how to get that. From a, yeah. Does that, does that from work a, or not? From a leading indicator, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are they actually, because the validation on the lagging side, it could be five years, it could be 10 years on you know, that ROI. And so no one's really coming back and, and saying like this worked or this didn't work. So yeah. in some instances, mature companies are actually doing a better job of that, but it's more on the leading indicator side based off what we know today. Yeah, You're telling me that if we do this work for the next year and a half, we're going to see this ROI. Um, and they're still pretty black and white um, about that right now. So we have to be very creative on the storytelling side to Andrew's point on, you know, showcasing what we're trying to accomplish and get that into whatever business case you need for that company and those compliances that they have to meet. Okay. Dave, I had a little bit of epiphany when you just said what you said. Good. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) 
if I tie it back to the startup stuff, if I tie it back to the finance yeah. stuff, and Andy is much, much deeply, much more deeply connected with the finance team's approach to these things. And yeah. I tend to uh, subordinate them just a little bit in, in my storytelling. But what and I, I just ignore them just, completely. <laughs> <laughs> what I heard you just say was finance as a QA. That's a good step in, as Andy said, the leading indicator. Mm -hmm. But it's still against a prescribed spend of a project. Yeah. Or a prescribed spend of a of an investment or a business case. And I yeah. think back to your question of like the startup to enterprise shift, startups operate in a run rate mindset. Mm -hmm. We have enough money to fund 10 people for one year. So we're going to fund 10 people and we're going to figure out how to turn that run rate into more money and into mm -hmm. more money, into more money. And at some point that shifts to, I want to spend a million dollars on this project. To a million dollar I want to make a place a hundred million dollar bet. I want to do a new solution. And so if QA is the leading indicator to that bet, mm -hmm. it's still ignoring what does it take to run the business? What does it take to enhance the business? What is the rolling nature of run rates? If I could get a leadership team okay. to say, you can fund 10 teams or a hundred teams within this domain, where do you want them to go focus? Yeah. What is the outcomes you're trying to create as opposed to you can spend the equivalent of 10 teams money doing things. Which ones do you want to do? Andy called it out perfectly. You don't know that till five years down the road. So you're making a decision of an mm -hmm. investment for a later thing versus the way we're trying to flip some of this to say, you know, you have the capacity as an enterprise to fund 10 teams in the space. Does that feel like the right amount of money for the outcomes? And you switch the QA from finance to the QA, to the team saying, with that amount of stuff, we hypothesize we can get this stuff out the, out the door. Okay. We can solve these problems. And yeah. then finance has become a partner in the conversation, not a gate in the conversation. Ah, even better. Okay, cool. So how, how do, other than just calling the two of you and being like, come help me fix this, how do companies get started with this? Especially if they're, they're not if it's a place where they don't even, the teams don't understand the strategy yet, like they don't have that answer, like how would a company go about priming themselves to be ready to engage at this level? Yeah, I think there's a couple different paths and a couple different root problems that a company would be starting at or people in a company would be starting at for this okay. conversation. So I'm going to split it into two camps. you got the people, your product owners in the system that says, yeah, that's the problem I have. Come fix my problem. Well, uh, without the leadership awareness buy-in that we're, we're needing some different behavior, it's really tough. And so it's yeah. then storytelling and working with your POs to say, um, I don't have clarity. Here's the things, what clarity looks like. Okay. For organizations that say, ah, man, we don't know what our strategy is, or those pesky teams aren't listening to the strategy, or they're producing the wrong stuff. Okay. I think the path to engaging in some of this stuff is, well, do you have a predictability problem? Or do you have a bad stuff in, bad stuff out problem? Those are okay. two different classes of problem. And what we're finding is we're dis what was once disguised as agile transformation is now being disguised as product-driven transformation or sure. strategy alignment or these things. It still roots in what Andy said. You have to have a trusted system that this can sit on top of. And once you have a belief, you have a trusted system. So I hope a company says we've got a trusted system and we just don't have alignment and we don't have a way to mm -hmm. do that. The engagement is with a set of leading agile consultants, if I tout us that way, to say, hey, your future state is about a system of delivery that's inclusive of the strategy, not just the outputs. And okay. having that, that conversation. Okay. Andy, I so don't know if you would start somewhere else. 
No, I, I think you, you know, I think you kind of hit from coming in sideways and coming bottom up. So those would be the two generically it's, it's bubbling up in a transformation already, or it's bubbling up in the trustworthy system. And we come in and you just got to storytell and, and build those relationships and get the folks at that tier, those leaders to really understand what problem we're trying to solve by coming in and talking to them. Um, or you come in sideways. I think okay. you, you get, uh, if you get some new leadership, you know, some new blood in the system, that's usually <laughs> a, a good way. And they want to, you know, they don't like how things are working now and they're looking at switching up how they drive strategy in the company. Okay. So I, I'm going to check in with you guys on this and then we can wrap it up. Um, when you're talking about this, part of what I'm hearing is you are working on solving a problem that you see that many organizations might not see yet, but it is their next problem. Correct. And you're trying to help them get a jump on that so they don't get caught like, okay, we have predictable teams, but we're just building a bunch of crap and nobody wants it. This is them being proactive about preparing themselves for the next class of problems they're going to face when they have a trustworthy, predictable system at the delivery level. That is 100% true coming from Andrew and Andy with the leading Agile hat on. Absolutely. All right. I, cool. I believe that there's a second class of people out there, Dave, that would say, this organization hasn't connected the strategy or they're thinking okay. agility means strategy. And so we're trying to also with those other organizations say to be strategically relevant, you need agility at a team level. You also need agility at an organizational level. And that agility at the organizational level might look like shorter cycles of funding. It yeah. might look like OKRs. It might look like the executive team actually behaving like an executive team, getting together on a weekly basis to talk about where the organization needs to go. So many of our clients, the executive teams don't act as a team. They yeah. are executives operating Competing. a function and they get back together for report outs. And so we're trying to instantiate organizational agility can apply yeah. to a team at any level of the organization with the same uh practices belief and system some of the same structures yeah. and same of the same beliefs yeah cool this was awesome um i appreciate you being patient with me trying to <laughs> keep up with the two of you um what if if people want to get in touch with you to find out more about this so so andrew will do you first and then andy you second so andrew how did they how do they reach you yeah the easiest way would probably be through my inbox um andrew.young okay. at com or on linkedin Okay. Um, you know, this will be posted somewhere and wherever you clicked on this, you can just at mention me in that, that channel and I will find you. All right, cool. And Andy, <laughs> uh, the same thing that Andrew just said, um, I am andrew.fine at leadingagile.com or through my LinkedIn. Um, but, uh, those are the two paths to, to connect with me on if you want to discuss this farther. Cool. All right. And there'll be links to all this stuff in the show notes. So I, I'm grateful to both of you for suggesting the topic, being patient with me and making time for this. Um, and hopefully you find it valuable. So thanks, guys. Thanks, Dave. And hopefully Appreciate some some PO somewhere in a product uh, owner class will will find this hole in their heart that other people are working on and they know that they're not alone. So we're out yeah. here trying to create community around this. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Appreciate Dave. Appreciate it, Dave. Good talking to you, Andrew.